It's kind of a hard act to follow. <laughs> I'd like to begin this morning with a question. Has God moved on? It, it seems like a strange question to ask on this fourth Sunday of Advent as we're getting ready to celebrate the birth of Jesus. But you know, really, that, that question comes to us daily as we turn on the news and as we hear reports of the struggling global economy and the growing disparity between the rich and the poor, between the 1% and the 99%, as we hear about global climate change and the ongoing threat of war, even as it appears that some wars are ending. And it comes to us daily, even closer to home, as we face significant health challenges or maybe unrelenting pain, or as we find ourselves grieving the loss of someone we love, or maybe the loss of a job that we have fully invested ourselves in. Maybe we're aching from a broken relationship, or battling with anxiety about the future, or struggling with the power of addiction in our lives. Maybe some of us find ourselves in some of these places this morning. And maybe some of us find ourselves asking, so where is God? Is God helpless to do anything about the mess that our world is in? Is God helpless to do anything about the mess that our lives are in? Does God care? Or has God turned away and said, I've had enough. Let them sink in their own mire. I'm done. I'm moving on. If it's any comfort, we are not the only ones in the world who have ever struggled with these kinds of questions. People of all times have struggled and suffered and wondered, where is God? The people of Judah at the time of Jesus' birth were no exception. They too lived in darkness, a deep, deep darkness that had lasted over 500 years. For 500 years, they had been dominated and repressed and oppressed by superpowers, foreign superpowers. And as a result, they had no political power. They were subject to the tyranny of their rulers, and they lived in continual poverty. And life was basically a struggle to survive. And so then... As now, they were asking, people were asking, is God helpless to do anything about this? Does God care? Or has God turned away and said, I've had enough. Let them sink in their own mire. I am done. I'm moving on.
and watching. We see a flicker of light and want to share it. Thank you for sharing the light. And thanks be to God for the light, which comes to us in unexpected moments. question. Has God moved on? We see in the candles this morning, and we see a very clear answer in the gospel reading this morning that no, God has not moved on. In fact, God is getting ready to move in, and we saw that close up and personal today. This news comes, from a young, comes to a young woman, probably a young teenager named Mary. Not through the morning newspaper, but via God's own messenger service, an angel. Now, neither the message nor the messenger are expected and probably not even welcomed because this news has some pretty personal implications for Mary. Personal implications that could turn her life upside down and inside out. The message is this. She's going to give birth to a son who will be none other than the Messiah, God's anointed one, the one who will come to set Israel free. No, far from it. God has not moved out. God is moving in. And God is moving in in a very tangible way through a child that Mary herself will give birth to. The child, the angel tells her, will be named Jesus, a name whose Hebrew root means Savior. He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. The message to Mary is very clear. Despite despite God's seeming silence for so many years, God is at work in the world. And God is calling her to be an instrument in that work. She has been called to gestate, to give birth to, and to nurture a new life that will bring new life to the world. Well, I suppose Mary could have responded in any number of ways. She could have said, I don't believe this is happening. I think I'm just going to shut my eyes for a bit. Maybe I'm just dreaming. When I open them again, it'll all go away. Or perhaps recognizing reality for what it is, she could have said, Why have you chosen me, God? I'm nobody important, and and the place I come from is this podunk village out in the sticks. Why don't you choose a more glamorous place where people might more easily recognize you? And while you're at it, why don't you choose a person who has more and who has better resources to care for you? Or she could have said, thanks, but no thanks. I mean, I appreciate the offer to be involved, but it is way too risky. What will Joseph say when he finds out that I'm pregnant? You know that he could drag me out to the city gate and have me stoned. And my family? 
They, they are never going to understand. I think you should find someone else to do the job. Well, Mary could have responded in any one of these ways. But according to Luke, she doesn't. She does wonder aloud about some of the logistical details, like um, just how is this all going to happen? But in the end, she says, here I am. Here I am, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Now, it's not that Mary doesn't have any concerns or any questions. And she can't possibly know what all of this will mean for her life. But, and here's the important part, but she hears God's invitation to join in with what God is about to do. And she believes with all her heart that it can and will be done that God's word will not fail. And so, she says, yes. And the next thing we know, we find her at the home of her cousin Elizabeth, singing a song of wonder and praise about what God is doing in this world. We heard it read this morning, we sang it together. It's really a song about God moving in. God is entering into our human reality, and things will never be the same. That which is high will be brought low, and those who cannot lift themselves up will be raised to new hope by the power of God. Mary somehow catches this vision, and she is so convinced of it, so convicted by it, that she sings this praise in the past tense, as if it's already happened. Did you notice that in Luke 1, 51 through 53, the past tense? He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Mary is so sure of this vision that, in the words of Barbara Brown Taylor, she sings about it ahead of time. Not in the future tense, but in the past, as if the promise has already come true. I believe it's this conviction and this hope that gives Mary the courage to say yes to God. It's what gives her the courage to take the risk of stepping out into the unknown. It's what gave her courage to make space in her life for God's spirit to enter in and to work through her. This kind of conviction and hope is a Scarce commodity these days, given all that we see in the world around us, given all that we experience in our lives. Maybe it would be easier for us to believe it if God sent an obvious in-your-face message like Gabriel Peter Esch Scott to us, like he did to Mary. Angels that drop in out of nowhere are kind of hard to ignore, especially if they're carrying a chicken bone. On the other hand, maybe God has already sent us this kind of message through the story that we find here. 
Here in this story, we learn that the desire of God's heart is for peace and for wholeness and for the mending of broken relationships. Here we learn that God's response to the pain and the sin in our world is not one of distancing or rejection, but one of drawing close and embracing in love. Here we see God becoming one of us, Emmanuel, God with us, entering into our joys and struggles and pain to heal and to forgive and to transform our lives and our world. This is the message of hope that comes to us in this story. And the story continues as God's spirit moves in our world and draws us toward that vision. The story continues as we accept God's invitation to become a part of it. We hear that invitation in this morning's gospel reading. Just as it came to Mary, it comes to us. And then, it's up to us to respond. Can we, like Mary, say yes to what God is wanting to do? To the way that God is wanting to love the world in and through us? I look around this room this morning, this room full of people, and I see a room full of people who have said yes to that invitation. People who every day carry Jesus with them wherever they go, into their homes, into their work, into their relationships, as they walk alongside folks at Occupy Lancaster as they walk alongside the folks who stay at the winter uh, shelter or gather for Monday night meals here at our church. I see a room full of people who are allowing the love of God to gestate, to grow inside them so that love might be born into the world. Becoming a womb for this kind of love isn't always easy. In fact, it's sometimes downright risky. When the seed of God's spirit is planted within us, we don't know how it will grow. As God's spirit grows within us, it may call us to places that we never dreamed of going, to service that we never dreamed of doing. It may call us to leave behind a nicely planned out future. Who knows? It may call us to get involved in situations that we'd really rather stay out of or to hold an opinion for which we are misunderstood or ostracized. Taking such risks is not easy. Yet we do so because we are compelled by the love that is growing within us and because we, like Mary, believe in a God who is near to us who in Jesus has moved in right beside us and who even now is at work to heal the wounds of violence and injustice, to bear the griefs and carry the sorrows of our aching world, to lift up the lowly and to scatter the proud and to fill the hungry with good things. 
This is the God that Mary praises in her song. A God who dwells among us and who longs to live in us and work through us to bring healing and to bring hope to our world. As we ponder what all this means, just as Mary pondered in her heart about what it all meant, may we, like Mary, step forward in trust to give our consent. May we say yes to the love God is wanting to birth through us into the world. Amen.